From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Wednesday edition, breaking news this afternoon with reports that Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer will retire. We'll get the details in just a moment from Washington Times reporter Harris Alec. And the diplomatic efforts continue to avert a crisis in Ukraine. Today, Ambassador Sullivan delivered our written response in Moscow. All told, it sets out a serious diplomatic path forward should Russia choose it. That was Secretary of State Anthony Blinken earlier today. We'll get the latest from House Armed Service Committee member Congressman Pat Fallon in just a moment. The left will stop at nothing and their effort to silence conservative and Christian voices, even putting up front groups masquerading as Christian. We'll talk with Parker Thayer at Capital Research Center about the latest effort with a group called Faithful America. Speaking of silencing, David Clawson, director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview, is here on the new attacks on biblical counseling, both in Canada and here in the United States. And some really good news. Out of the Lone Star State, Planned Parenthood has given up its fight against the biggest sanctuary city for the unborn in America, Lubbock, Texas. The abortion provider is packing up and leaving town. Jim Baxa, president of West Texas for Life, is here with the details. And while Lubbock is a sanctuary city for the unborn, California wants to be a sanctuary state for abortion. FRC's Mary Sock also joins me with a look at what some other states are doing on abortion, which once again underscores that elections have consequences for both the born and the unborn. Today's verse from FRC's Stand on the Word Bible reading program comes from Job chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. I also could speak as you do, Job said to his three friends, if your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you, but I would strengthen you with my mouth and and comfort you with my lips, and I I would relieve your grief. Job told his three friends, three friends, that he could do the same thing if their roles were reversed, but having this experience that he had, he would know how to truly help them. God allows us to use our past pain to help others find peace. To be a part of FRC's Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. We as Americans have all seen the power of the U.S. Supreme Court and the influence it has over the country. The court's docket this term was filled with several potentially historic and landmark decisions covering issues ranging from abortion, COVID vaccination requirements to the Second Amendment. Well, today, the impact of the court was once again in focus as news broke that Associate Justice Stephen Breyer may retire. Here with this breaking news from Washington is Harris Alec. Harris reports for the Washington Times. Harris, welcome back to the program. Always a pleasure to be on. Thank you so much for having me here, Tony. So have these reports been verified yet? They have uh, not 100% been verified, but the White House has essentially told uh, numerous sources and uh, numerous reporters that uh, Associate Justice Breyer, who is 83 years old, will be leaving the bench. Uh, He was actually planning on announcing his retirement, but word leaked. And uh, I think there's a little bit of a cleanup right now they're trying to do to figure out whether or not uh, how long the announcement's going to be. Obviously, a Supreme Court opening is such a 
lucrative uh, position that there are many people who are already jockeying for it, but it's also a lucrative appointment for a president. Right now, there's a six to three conservative majority on that court, while Justice Breyer's departure will not necessarily change that direction in one way or another. If President Biden is to appoint someone who is, say, in their 40s, that person could be on the court for the next 30 or 40 years and potentially could be a uh, bulk work for the court's progressive, uh, more liberal uh, a, uh, the the wing of the court that has a tendency to uh, view the Constitution as a living document and tends to interpret it in many, many ways. And as you yourself said, the court has become increasingly more important in our daily lives. It's focused on our um, on issues such as COVID, on issues such as the Second Amendment, on issues such as abortion. And both Democrats and Republicans are increasingly gearing up for what is likely to be a contentious nomination, although one that I think both Republicans admit that there's not necessarily as much uh, uh, ability to obstruct, given that the Senate remains in Democratic control for right now. So, Harris, this really is not a big surprise because the left has been really hounding Breyer to retire to lay out the scenario that you just described, that they would have a younger liberal on the bench because there's fear, given especially the the, uh, track record of this administration, that the Democrats may not have the White House in four years, and that could set up yet another conservative appointment or constitutionalist onto the highest court. Absolutely, Tony. Well, there's actually a very, very good chance that the uh, Democrats won't have uh, the Senate as of next January. So I think there's been an increasingly uh, big push to uh, have uh, Justice Breyer retire so they can appoint someone who is significantly younger. Uh, We've seen numerous dark money progressive groups attempt to target him and push him into retiring. We've seen op-ed pages on both the left and the right been filled with arguments for why he should retire. And I think today, you know, his decision to do so just signals more to the fact that Democrats are facing a very, very difficult political environment. And uh, I think had President Donald Trump won, Breyer wouldn't have necessarily resigned uh, or opted to retire. But I think he's looking now at potentially a Republican administration coming into in 2024, at the very least 2028. He's looking at a Republican Senate, which could be in power for significantly longer. And I think he's realizing this is the best time to go. Uh, we'll see who President Biden ends up appointing. He's already promised to nominate a African-American woman. Uh, the the jockeying has already started. As I said, Stacey Abrams' sister, who's a uh, judge in uh, Georgia, is, uh, from what I'm told, uh, looking to potentially move up. But we'll see what ends up happening. There's also some talk that President Biden might choose to uh, tap Vice President Kamala Harris for the position, although that seems to face significantly long odds, given the fact that Democrats will lose control of the Senate. And then you, know, you would also have to figure out a way to uh, uh, get the confirmation for a uh, vice presidential uh, appointment through with, without a sitting vice president. So it's more likely going to be a, uh, a justice with significant amount of uh, experience. We'll obviously have to see as uh, we'll obviously just have to see just how long the process takes and we'll have to see exactly who the nominees are. And uh, Republicans, as I said, are facing strong headwinds in opposing this, but it really depends on how controversial or radical the nominee ends up being. Well, that's a given. Uh, I think it's going to be pretty far to the to the left. Final question for you, Harris. How soon do you expect the confirmation hearings for the nominee to begin after he or she is revealed? Uh, so we're probably looking at a uh, mid-February to early March timeline for reveal. And uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee has said that they are going to move expeditiously. So we could have a nominee in place as, as early as uh, May. It just really kind of depends on how controversial the nominee does end up being. And it depends on 
uh, how much uh, time Senate Democrats want to spend on this. Time is, is kind of both a boon and a deficit for them right now, because if the nominee that President Biden does pick ends up being controversial enough to not be able to garner the support of moderate Democrats, they've still got six to eight months to pick someone else. Um, however, there's also big agenda items they're looking to push. Uh, there's a budget bill coming up in February 18th that they have to pass to keep the government afloat. Uh, there's mm. uh, potentially talk of re, uh, about attempting to repass portions of President Biden's Build Back Better Act. So this nomination, I think, is going to be something they're going to try to dispense with as quickly as they can and move on to regular business because the clock is ticking after the November elections right. and heading into January. There's very likely going to be a Republican Senate. And at that point in time, uh, President Biden's going to have to be dealing with uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell potentially. Yeah. Harris, Alec, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for the latest uh, on uh, this unfolding news. Well, uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch. As he pointed out, there's a lot of big ticket items still pending in the United States Senate. And if there's one institution that cannot walk and chew gum at the same time, it's the United States Senate moves at turtle pace. So I I think it's going to be uh, very difficult for them to uh, to handle this and all of the other president's uh, priorities. But we'll watch it very closely. But as he pointed out, uh, just to uh, to kind of uh, curtail expectations, there's very little the Republicans can do. Only 50 votes are needed to confirm Supreme Court justice, as we saw with those that uh, were appointed by Donald Trump. All right, certainly no shortage of news these days, but shifting gears more internationally uh, to you to uh, Russia and Ukraine. Join me now to uh, to highlight this ongoing crisis uh, between the two countries is Congressman Pat Fallon. He uh, is he is on the House Armed Services Committee. Congressman, welcome back to the uh, to the program. Thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. How are you? Uh, doing well. I think a lot happening, um, and I'm sure you're tracking all of this. What? Uh, what's the latest uh, in terms of what do we think Russia is going to do and how will the United States respond? And do you think the Biden administration is responding appropriately to this point? Well, Tony, you know, obviously we don't know Putin what he'll do exactly. I suspect, uh, unfortunately, that he is going to invade. Uh, I'm praying that that won't be the case. And as far as the Biden administration, I mean, unfortunately, there's been missteps and we can talk about, we, we knew about this buildup, Tony, back in November, and that's exactly when lethal aid, particularly anti-aircraft and anti-ship weaponry should have been sent to the Ukraine. And unfortunately, I'm saying this now three times, because <laughs> the whole darn situation is uh, unfortunate. But the Biden administration did not send that equipment and weaponry in November. They dragged their feet, and there's really there was no cause for that. The uh, ranking member Rogers and ranking member Imhoff on the Armed Services Committee in the House and Senate, asked, you know, wrote a letter and asked the administration to get on this immediately because we wanted to send a message to Russia that Ukraine was a priority. In fact, we don't even have an ambassador. It's been over a year. That's not signaling right. to the to the Russians that uh, the Ukraine is important to us. Yeah, that's an extremely good point. Um, you know, we're, we're continuing to watch this and we'll see how this unfolds. But it, right now, it does not look like there's going to be a very positive outcome. I, I want to shift to another a kind of domestic issue that you've been uh, very connected on. When was the last time you were at the border? What have you been seeing down at the border as we on our southern border here in the United States? Well, Tony, I was down there a few months ago. And for, uh, again, <laughs> the... Things haven't gotten better. We, there was a lot of press attention on the border in February and March, 
But over the last 10 months, there have been over 160,000 illegal border crossings each and every month. It's the first time in our history. There were over 2 million illegal border crossings in last, the last calendar year. It's the first time in our history. The drug cartels are making wild profits, and the Biden administration is not following through with Trump policies that actually worked. Wait in Mexico worked. Wait in Mexico became catch and release. It did. You know, did. deporting criminals, Tony, worked. And now it's, you know, the cartels run wild and building the wall became open the gate. I, mean, I know we're talking domestic foreign policy, but I mean, you have to think that our adversaries, our foreign adversaries, look at the the inability to actually secure our own borders. That has to factor into our willingness to get engaged elsewhere. No, there's no doubt. And the fourth congressional district constituents, we have 770,000 of them, are rather savvy and smart. And more than one person has told me, what are we worried about a border, securing a border a half a world away when we won't even secure our own border with Mexico? And that's a very good and fair point. We have to start at home first, much like when you're on an airplane. What do they tell you? If, God forbid, the oxygen mask come down, put one on yourself before you can assist anyone else. I think the argument can be made that, you know, secure your own border first before you can help any others. And we're, yes. we're sending a signal. Joe Biden is sending a signal of weakness and wokeness across the board. I, I, Congressman, I think you're absolutely right. And I think our adversaries who are pretty, uh, pretty smart in some cases are picking up on that. Congressman Pat Fallon, thanks so much for joining us. Always great to talk with you. Thanks, Tony. God bless. Take care. Have a great day. All right. Uh, coming up next, who is Faithful America? And why are they after faith-filled Christians? Capital Research Center's Parker Thayer joins me on the other side of this break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch coming up next. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. 
To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony Perkins, your host, and the website is TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you and contact information for our guest. Well, Faithful America claims they are the, quote, largest online community of Christians putting faith into action for social justice. Our members, Catholic, Protestant, and more, are sick of sitting by quietly while Jesus' message of good news is hijacked by the religious right to serve a hateful political agenda. End quote. Now, one thing Faithful America clearly has an issue with is the First Amendment, uh, with their constant crusades to silence thing, silencing those who would dare to disagree with them, including yours truly. But their latest targets are One America News, Newsmax, and Real America's Voices. They cannot tolerate any voice that would speak truth in the culture that is coming from the Christian community. Joining me now to highlight how faithful America has been unfaithful to the First Amendment is Parker Thayer. Parker is a research assistant at Capital Research Center. Parker, welcome uh, to Washington Watch. Thank you so much for having me on, Tony. So, Parker, I want to start with what is Faithful America and how did this organization begin and who funds them? Yeah, so Faithful America, as is common with left-wing left wing ad- advocacy groups, um, they were essentially spawned out of an organization called um, the Citizen Engagement Lab. Uh, now, if that doesn't really explain to you uh, what that organization is, that's by design. Uh, now, these organizations, uh, what they specialize in is creating pop-up nonprofit advocacy groups um, that can you know, claim to be experts on topics, claim to have grassroots support, when in reality, they're backed mostly by billionaire supporters, um, sometimes powerful labor unions. Uh, they'll, you know, they, 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 a lot of them claim to be religious organizing groups. Um, but the reality is they have almost no real world support, no real grassroots connection. Um, they're just paid for advocacy groups that pop up wherever uh, the Democratic Party and the left need someone to speak up for them. But it appears the media is very quick to go to them as representing, like in this case with Faithful America, that they somehow represent Christians in America. When if you actually look at their filings with the IRS, they're almost non-existent. 
don't have any money. They throw out a few guys with collars on and act as if they're speaking for Christians. Absolutely. These groups seek out the media, and the media is more than willing to give them the platform. As long as they can say that they have the backing of you know, some small majority or small minority of the religious population, they're more than willing to say that they represent a large contingent, uh, that they essentially spend all of their budget trying to appear larger than they are. But Parker, isn't that a little disingenuous on behalf of the media? I mean, if you're in the media, shouldn't you actually know who you're talking to and whether or not a, a group like this is legitimate? I mean, it doesn't take exactly. much. I mean, I could you could Google it, and in three minutes you can find out that this is nothing more than a front group for people like George Soros. Yeah, exactly. If you go to our website, influencewatch.org, it's a fantastic resource for that. Um, the media really isn't willing to look into this deeper. Sometimes they'll see that, you know, maybe Faithful America signed a letter with, you know, 30, 40 groups signing on to it. But all of those groups might have been just another part of the citizen engagement lab that, uh, you know, don't really exist in any meaningful sense, aside from what the citizen engagement lab wants them to appear to be. Um, so, so Parker, a, a stunning lack of digging deeper. Yeah, well, I mean, we've a lazy media today, and and as you said, it it serves their purposes, so they're more than happy to uh, to use these front groups that are funded by left. I mean, it's it's collusion, um, you know, it's collusion. Maybe not with Russia, but it's collusion. Mm-hmm. So th- right now, Faithful America is targeting One American News, Newsmax, Real American Voices, trying to do an on or they're doing an online petition, trying to get people to sign it to have uh, Roku and uh, Pluto TV take these um, programs off. They want them off cable. Uh, so that's, that's their focus right now. But what are some of the previous crusades that Faithful America has been engaged in? Um, one, of the, I mean, one of the media crusades I'm sure that you're familiar with um, is they brag openly about having the Family Research Council essentially barred from MSNBC. That's a thing that they claim to have done, um, and, and they are very proud of silencing opposing voices. Another thing they're very famous for is they opposed the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett and tried, attempted to smear her character. Um, they claim that they represented a large contingent of the faith community, which is not true, um, and, and that there was a Christian consensus against Amy Coney Barrett, which it couldn't be further from the truth as well. Uh, fam- the the Faithful America, they get attention from the media, but they're also very talented at bullying the media into complying with the narrative that they sell. Yeah. And again, I think I put a lot of the blame on the the media. I don't I mean, anybody in this country has a right to go out, create an organization, make noise, you know, make claims, whatever they want to do. I mean, that's fine with me. But the media gives them this platform and elevates them when they the media knows good and well. This is nothing more than a front for leftists who are claiming to be something they are not, and the media plays along with the charade. Absolutely. Before we run out of time, we just got a couple minutes here, but you, you've been working on something else as well, and it's, it's tied into elections. It's all tied into the media. And it's Mark Zuckerberg with uh, Facebook who, who put in you know, over $300 million into last elections. You've got a report. You've been z- digging down to see where these Zuck bucks went, what jurisdictions got them, and what states are taking actions to make sure this outside money does not influ- inclu- uh, influence elections. Absolutely. Um, so for those of, for the viewers who might not know the whole story, 
Um, Mark Zuckerberg decided in in, during the 2020 election that local election offices, your county uh, county election clerks, needed more money to conduct the 2020 election because of the massive anticipated mail-in voting um, and the problems of COVID. Uh, he allocated nearly $400 million for this effort, um, and he sent the money directly to local um, county admi election administrators, county clerks, um, secretary of state offices around the country in numerous states. Um, that all seems good and well, but the problem is, is that these funds were distributed in a way designed to boost the turnout of um, demo particularly Democratic-leaning areas in battleground states. Um, yes. Georgia, for example, got over $45 million from Mark Zuckerberg's uh, funded Center for Tech and Civic Life, the organization he used uh, to conduct these activities. Um, and instead of paying for personal protective equipment or COVID safety measures, it seems a large majority of the money was spent on nonpartisan voter education. Um, in particular areas. Exactly, in particular areas. Hey, um, Parker, we're, 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 up a, so far. we're up against a break. But um, I, I want to get you back on to talk about this report because I think it's very enlightening and it uh, underscores why many states are taking action. So thanks for joining us today. We'll be back in touch with you. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back on the other side of the break with more. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live to according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. You're listening to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Um, I encourage you, invite, invite some others to listen into Washington Watch. You know, as we were just talking with Parker, I mean, I've been warning for over a decade that this was coming. The left wants to silence. You know, I, I'm fine with liberals, okay? You can debate liberals, but the left wants to silence. They, they, they cannot 
defend their arguments and their positions, so they want to silence the opposition. I saw that coming and unfolding. I've been here at the Family Research Council for uh, going on 19 years, and, and I began to see this. And so that's one of the reasons we actually started this daily radio program, I think, about nine years ago. And now we've moved it into television, and we're going to continue to expand. But I'm, I've been warning pastors the same thing, because someone would say, oh, no, it's just you're political. That's why you're being silent. You're talking about political issues. I'm talking about moral, spiritual issues. Well, we're now seeing that the Bible itself, we, we, we were talking about what happened in Finland, that court case there uh, with uh, Pavi on Monday, tweeting a Bible verse. Well, don't think that this attack on the Bible and the gospel is only in far-off places. It's happening all around us. It's happening in Canada. Now it's happening here. We've been talking about this on the program, how biblical counseling, when it runs afoul of political correctness and the left's you know, their view of human sexuality and everything they want to protect— they realize they cannot defend what they're promoting, and so they have to silence the opposition. And that includes silencing pastors who want to help people come out of destructive lifestyles. Joining me now to talk more about this, David Clawson, who is the director of FRC Center for Biblical Worldview. David, welcome back to the program. Uh, great to be with you, Tony. I want to talk about two things in particular because these are not theoretical. They're very real. Uh, at the first of this year, Canada adopted a new law, C-4. Um, and, you know, in the military, I used to work with C-4, plastic explosive. This is an explosive law because it blows up, really, the opportunity for pastors, Christians, to speak truth into human sexuality. Tell us about it. Oh, it really does, Tony. And over the last couple of years, I've been on your show dozens and dozens of times. We've talked a lot about a lot of important issues. I can't think of a more important issue to talk about than this issue of uh, counseling bans. Uh, the media talks about these as conversion therapy bans. These are simply counseling bans, but you're right. On January 7th, a bill known as C-4 was enacted into law in Canada uh, that criminalizes what they call conversion therapy. Uh, but if you read the law, which I have in front of me, they define that really broadly uh, to include any practice, treatment, or service uh, designed to change a person's uh, sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, uh, to reduce or uh, repress a person's non-cisgender identity. Uh, this, what, what this is doing, Tony, is criminalizing Christian sexual ethics. And I think you've talked about this, but what's astounding to me, that, that I had to pick my jaw off, off the floor, uh, but actually in the bill, is, uh, the, the text of the bill, it equates any beliefs or any views or any opinions uh, that disagrees with the moral revolution, they equate them to myths and stereotypes. That, that's actually in the text of the bill. Uh, so Christian sexual ethics, just basic Christian beliefs that Christians have held for 2,000 years are now being criminalized in Canada and equated with myths and stereotypes. Now, David, there is some question as to how this will be enforced, because Canada has a charter of rights and freedoms, which specifically uh, protects the freedom of thought, beliefs, opinion, and expression. But we know how this works. This is the first step, and you have those that will self-censor. They will silence themselves out of fear of running afoul of the government. 
so that's the first step. And then when they when this whole biblical idea of human sexuality falls out of disfavor with the public, that's when the government moves in and clamps down with force. Oh, no, you're absolutely right, Tony. And we've seen it during the pandemic uh, that the Canadian authorities have not been friendly to pastors and churches. Uh, just a couple of days ago, I was in Fort Myers representing Family Research Council at, at the Founders Ministry Conference, and one of the plenary speakers who was supposed to be there uh, is Pastor James Coates. Uh, he, he wasn't able to make it, uh, but he was a pastor who just uh, six months ago during the summer uh, was thrown into jail. He was arrested uh, because he refused to obey uh, uh, the public safety law that was put into place that told him that his church could not meet. So, so in Canada, they have already shown uh, that they are not friendly to Christian uh, theology, Christian beliefs, uh, the belief that Christians ought to gather on the Lord's Day. And so you're right, this law will be weaponized by those who want to go after pastors. And this is a very concerning development. Uh, David, we're, we're about out of time, but this is for those who say, well, that's Canada. Well, it's here in the United States, these counseling bans. Uh, we've seen this in, uh, has been introduced in West Lafayette, Indiana, the heartland. You've written about it. Where can people read your piece? Yeah, I wrote about this super important because this goes after unlicensed folks rather than just uh, professional counselors. Uh, but this appears at frc.org slash worldview, uh, where all our worldview resources are housed. And, and this is a significant case because, as David points out, this is unlicensed counsel. This is churches in particular that are doing Bible-based counseling, not just on human sexuality, but finances, relationships, you name it. People need help with it, and they're to, they are there to help. But now the city coming after them because the homosexual community spurring them on to silence churches. David Clawson, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, you can also find a link at uh, TonyPerkins.com to his publication. Coming up, why is Lubbock, Texas, perhaps the safest place in America for the unborn? We're going to talk about that with Jim Baxa of West Texas for Life next here on Washington. Watch some good news. So stick around. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media. 
even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students, are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. In May of uh, the last year, voters in Lubbock, Texas, voted for their city to become a sanctuary city for the unborn by a margin of 62% to 38%. But this overwhelming message from voters wasn't acknowledged by Planned Parenthood, who sued over Lubbock's sanctuary city status. Well, the lower courts upheld the city's right to do what they did. And last week, last Thursday, actually a day before the March for Life, the uh, Planned Parenthood of Greater Texas Surgical Health Services, an affiliate of the largest abortion provider in the country, filed a motion to dismiss its lawsuit against the city of Lubbock, Texas, which is the most populous sanctuary city for the unborn in the U.S. And there are actually about, uh, I think, 41 sanctuary cities for the unborn in the U.S., all but three of them in the Lone Star State. Nebraska has two sanctuary cities for the unborn, and Ohio has one. We need to get other states on that list. Well, joining me now to talk more about this is Jim Baxa, president of West Texas for Life, who was a main driver for this. Jim, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, uh, I mean, this is great news that uh, Planned Parenthood has... uh, They've smelled the coffee and they've realized that the, the the good folks of Lubbock are not backing down, nor are the folks of Texas. So first, let me say congratulations. Job well done. Thank you. Yeah, it was very exciting to see. And you know, they, they knew they were going to lose at the Fifth Circuit. And so they, they stepped back and they said, we're, we're not going to take a loss. And it's going to hurt financially. So do you think that was really Planned Parenthood's thinking here? They backed off their lawsuit just because they knew they were going to lose and they wanted to save the, the cash? Yeah, exactly. They can save the lawyer fees and they can save the embarrassment of losing and setting a precedent. You know, the, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is where their appeal was, it was over three states. And they didn't want to open up a Pandora's box uh, that is open anyway for other states to to jump in and start banning abortion everywhere. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think they want to try to minimize this because if a precedent is set, that's going to open the door for other cities. And I hope other cities take these steps anyway. But let me yes. ask you this, Jim. Is is this the end of the pro-abortion lawsuits over Lubbock's sanctuary status? You know, time will tell, but I think it is. Um, I think we've, we've hit the end here that they, they have nowhere else to go unless they try to reopen this case, which they could do at some point. But I don't think they'll try to reopen it because I think they know what will happen and uh, they want to win. And uh, they're upset that we've won and that um, abortion is banned in Lubbock, Texas, and the Planned Parenthood there is no longer killing babies. Yeah, they packed up and uh, they're leaving. Uh, how let me let me talk, let me ask you this question, Jim, because I know this is really where you're at and what you've been focused on, because many say all oh, those pro-lifers, they only care about the baby and they get these laws in place and they move on. Let me ask you how the local community of Lubbock has been able to come around women facing these unplanned pregnancies. How, how has that effort been enhanced over the last year? Yeah, it's really duplicated over the year. I mean, Going back through history in Lubbock, there has been a strong contingent of Christians just loving their neighbor, uh, being there for these moms who decide to keep their babies and helping them through that process. Since this has happened, there's been a new um, shelter open for, for women who are you know burdened in, in a crisis pregnancy and, and don't feel like they can still live at home. And uh, so new shelters opened up for those people who, who feel like they need it. And uh, the, the churches have just stepped up and provided diapers and baby clothing. Uh, you wouldn't believe the pile of stuff that our, our groups put together on, on Victory Day and May 1st last year when we won the election, just to give to moms in need. Um, the, the pile of diapers was from the floor to the ceiling at a church. It was amazing. Jim, have you been in communication with other cities and other groups of pastors that really help drive these sanctuary cities for the unborn? Uh, are, are others looking at these uh, same types of approaches? Yes, definitely. Um, so West Texas in particular is where we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, activity right now. Uh, City of San Angelo, which is about 100,000 population, uh, they just collected enough signatures, just like Lubbock did, to force it under their ballot. So they're going to have an election on May 1st to ban abortion in San Angelo. Um, and that'll be the second biggest city to ever to ban abortion citywide. Um, there's a number of other West Texas cities, and I've had outreaches from just interested parties all across Texas and even across the country who say, we heard what you did in Lubbock, we want to do the same thing. And, you know, I, I point them to the website, sanctuarycdctheunborn.com. And I point them to their city council and uh, to the pastors in the community, because if the pastors don't lead this, we'll never win. It's always got to be pastor driven. Final question right on that topic, Jim. What role did the pastors play there in Lubbock to get this across the line and sustain it? The pastors were everything. You know, I'm just one activist, you know, trying to kind of take a step out in leadership role on this. But pastors did it. The pastors made sure that we were collecting signatories in every church in town. The pastors made sure that there was a sign out of every, outside of every church in the city. Uh, 200 different churches had a sign up front saying, vote for life, vote for the unborn. Um, it was an amazing sight to see. And, you know, we've been critical over the years of pastors who won't stand up. And, and we saw it here in Lubbock, Texas. That the pastors did stand up and they said, we're going to do what's right. Um, we're we're going to love these babies. We're going to love our neighbor and we're going to lead our flock. And it was an amazing sight to see. Well, and you played a catalytic role in that by bringing those pastors together and encouraging them and resourcing them. And so, uh, Jim, I want to thank you. And again, uh, job well done. Thank you, sir. 
All right, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Jim Back. So to find out more, you might want to entertain this idea of doing this in your city. You don't have to be in Texas. Be great to see this move beyond Texas into other states across the nation. Go to TonyPerkins.com and follow the links over. All right, continuing the conversation on this issue of life, Mary Sox, FRC's director of the Center for Human Dignity, joins me now. Mary, welcome back to the uh, the program. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. Well, we were talking about Texas and Lubbock in particular being a sanctuary city for the unborn. You know, go over to a blue state, California, where you have legislators working to make California a sanctuary state for abortion. Yeah, it's very sad. Apparently, the legislators in California haven't recognized the fact that sanctuaries are meant to protect people and abortion kills people. Now, we uh, were obviously watching the Supreme Court very closely as we're anticipating, you know, a decision and, and anticipating a favorable decision when it comes to the sanctity of life. If and when Roe and Casey are overturned, how many states have full protections for the unborn already on the books that will what we call trigger laws that will immediately put those protections into place? Well, what we have, Tony, is a combination of both trigger laws and pre-row bans. So these were states who who had had laws protecting life in the womb prior to Roe v. Wade overturning those laws. Roe v. Wade actually overturned virtually every law in in the country, every state law in the country with regard to abortion. Um, And Ruth Bader Ginsburg even admitted this. But what we see is that if Roe is overturned, we have 21 states poised to defend life beginning at conception. Um, And we'll we'll have to see how those laws are enforced and which which will go into effect. Um, But I think that the future looks bright for, for the unborn. You know, that's a really important point on a lot of issues, not just the sanctity of human life, but when the court issues an edict and, you know, they, you know, impose a particular policy on the entire nation, that does not necessarily, it does not, well, it doesn't at all remove statutes from the books of the states. And so the states have to go and take those off if they want to take them off or they leave them there and they're just not enforced so that, as you said, if the court overturns a previous decision that would have undermined state law, that state law could go back into effect. So that, that that's not just on the abortion issue. That's on uh, on many issues where states did not proactively move in sync with the court in removing those statutes from the book. So that's a, that's a really important point. Now, I know we're just a few weeks into uh, 2022. I mean, we haven't even made it all the way through January yet. But legislatures, this is state legislative season. State legislatures are meeting across the country. Are there any pro-life trends that you see developing in states so far? Well, there certainly are. We know 2021 was a banner year for the unborn. Guttmacher proclaimed it the worst year yet for abortion rights, which we always know is a good thing because it means more protections for life in the womb. And it looks like 2022 is going to be no different. We have two states who have already introduced or carried over um, from last year abortion ban legislations that would completely ban abortion in their states. 
We have two states who have, have heartbeat legislation going into effect with Arizona introducing it and Nebraska introducing it as well. Notably there, Tony, uh, when the state senator in Nebraska introduced the heartbeat legislation, she was really, she was really attacked for doing so. Um, with with pro-abortion activists uh, threatening her life, threatening um, her well-being. Um, and, and these are people who claim to care about women, um, really just showing their true colors there. But around America, you know, we're really seeing this, this pro-life tide that's, that's moving towards protection for the unborn, with several other states enacting Prenda legislation, fetal dignity laws, and, and protections for life in the womb. You know, this really began uh, back in 2011, uh, where we saw after the election in 2010, where we had the Tea Party movement and uh, a lot of conservatives were elected, state legislatures then flipped to a lot of uh, Republican control after uh, that in that election. Redistricting came about uh, during that time. And so we had more conservative legislatures. And that's where we began to see this thrust for pro-life legislation. And, and, I, and I say this, so to put this in context historically for people, but also to encourage pro-lifers who have been involved in this for years and wonder, am I making a difference? Look, I know the media doesn't want you to know that you're making a difference, but you're making a huge difference. In the last decade, 11 years, we have seen almost 40% of all pro-life legislation that has been adopted since 1973 has been just in the last 10 years. So, I mean, think about that. Almost 50 years is the, the time frame. But in the last 10, almost half, 40% of pro-life legislation has been enacted to law. And that's because of elections. It's because you've elected conservative pro-life candidates to state offices who have been pushing back to the left's overreach on this issue. And Mary, what you're saying is that it doesn't look like that wave is going to end anytime soon. It certainly does it. And we can't allow for it to for it to end because we're fighting for the life of an unborn child. And and the folks who have been around since 1973 know this and they've known it the entire time. It's just that finally we're in a position to have legis where we have legislators in office who are willing to courageously stand up for the unborn. And we need to continue supporting them to do so. And and Folks should know if there isn't a pro-life legislator in your district, you can be that legislator. And, and I know Family Research Council has the resources to help that happen. Yeah, that's a that's a good solution. If you can't find one, be one. And uh, we need more folks like that. In fact, I have found, Mary, in my time, uh, almost a quarter of a century in politics, that if you're right on the life issue, there's about a 90 percent chance you're going to be right on all the other issues as well. That's absolutely true. I'd love to say it's a it's a fundamental issue. Everything else springs from the sanctity of human life. It does. It absolutely does. Mary Sock, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Always great to talk with you. Doing a good job. Thanks so great much job. for having me. All right. You know, and the reason is that if you get the life issue right, everything else tends to line up is because when you recognize that human life is created in the image of God and that God is the creator. And if he is the creator, then he's the one who has the right to set the rules by which we are to conduct ourselves. And see, that's why the left, that's why the left hates the idea 
of the sanctity of human life, that somehow life is sanctified or sacred because it is created in the image of God. That's why Planned Parenthood wants to say it's just a blob of tissue. No, it is not. It is a unique individual that has the fingerprint of God upon it. It doesn't matter what zip code it was conceived in or what side of the tracks it might be born into. It is a human life created in the image of God. And the more that we can be involved in getting men and women that understand that into positions of leadership, the better our country will be on a host of issues. So I encourage you, do not be discouraged. In in fact, just turn off the media because they want you to be discouraged because they want you to throw in the towel and give up. But I'm here to tell you, you're making a difference by being involved, by talking about these things, having these conversations. And FRC wants to help you in doing that. We have lots of resources available for you on the life issue, on all of the issues that matter, the moral and spiritual issues that are defining our day. We can help you have those conversations. And we want you to because you are an influencer. If you're listening to this program, you are most likely an influencer. You're knowledgeable, you're informed, you care, and you have a trusted voice. And I encourage you to use that voice to influence others to do the right thing, to stand for truth, to not shrink back in the face of opposition, to be discouraged or to be fearful. We need to stand up in the face of evil and proclaim what we know that we know that we know is true. And that's what we do at the Family Research Council each and every day, and we want to help you do that. No matter what part of the country you live in, your voice matters, and it's important. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining us today. Again, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 